Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. You have to put yourself in the problem to actually be a part of seeing the solution. Hi, I'm Michael Casson. Welcome to Good Company, where I'll explore how marketing, media, entertainment, and tech are intersecting, transforming our lives and the way we do business at a breakneck speed. I'll be joined by some of the greatest business minds and strongest leaders who will share how they've built companies from the ground up or transformed them from the inside out. My bet is you'll pick up a lesson or two along the way. It's all good. We decided to dedicate this week to sharing a special, important conversation on taking actions for a more equitable tomorrow and what we as an industry must do to put in place the long-term strategies required for systemic change. With that, I'm honored to bring to this virtual stage two long-time, tireless, and passionate advocates for the advancement and equality and justice in our industry. Steve Stout, the founder and CEO of Translation and United Masters, and Rita Farrow, the president of Advertising Sales and Partnerships for the Walt Disney Company. Steve, Rita, welcome. This is a question to both of you. The, the events of the past two weeks have been, and I think this is an understatement, a massive wake-up call for not only the people of the United States, but globally. The pain that people are feeling and expressing has kind of never reached the boiling point in my life. And I've been around for a long time, and I experienced civil statements, and I don't want to even say civil disobedience because that's not what we're focusing on here. What we're focusing on is the positive natures of the protest and the raising of voices. I've never experienced anything like this in my life. What do you guys think in terms of the lasting opportunity that we've set into motion? Steve, either one of you take the first shot. It's been a long time coming, clearly. You've heard of this, the rumblings of um, specifically to, to African-Americans and oppression and racism and bias, um, that there's been complaints about it from corporations not providing opportunities to the way things are policed, um, that there's been constant complaints about it. And I think what we've seen now, Michael, as you say, you've never seen it before in your life, is when you look at some of the demonstrations in the 60s, and even the early 80s demonstrations, you see African-Americans marching and you see sprinkled in it non-African-Americans fighting the fight. You I mean, you've always seen it. But this time more than, more than ever, you see the amount of non-African-American faces marching with African-Americans. And that is the impact. That's the massive impact that was needed. Because when it's just African-Americans, you know, people believe like either the numbers are too small or they're going to get fatigued and things will just reset again. But when you have 30-year-old white women fighting on the front lines with African-Americans, young, you know, Jewish kids and young uh, Spanish people and everybody coming together, now you're talking about a full-on community fighting for what they believe is right. What's interesting, Steve, is when you talk about that, and I remember well, 1965 and the Watts riots. And I lived in Los Angeles, and you know this, Steve, Los Angeles, just the way it laid out geographically, has always been a segregated city, more so than most. And 
I remember, and I'm not proud of this, but it's an honest expression of a true historic moment for me. 1965, Watts riots. I was on the beach at Santa Monica and I was admiring, and I don't mean that positively, but as we all use the expression, admiring the problem that was going on over there wasn't in my backyard, wasn't my issue, even though it was something that I believed in. The difference is last night, to your point, the protesters were right on Doheny and Santa Monica, right in Beverly Hills. And to your point, the mix of the crowd was astounding to me. It's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. beautiful. It's beautiful. That's what humanity looks like. That if there's look, there's gonna be a lot of um things that come out of this that it's ugly now. A lot of it is ugly, believe me. But in change. Uh, sometimes you have to hit rock bottom to cause seismic shifts and change. And um, to see the people coming together like this, fight all around the world, people in Tokyo fight, saying Black Lives Matter, in the Netherlands, in, in anywhere, you pick a place that, that's what humanity should be about, whether it's gay or lesbian rights or African-American rights or you know, inclusiveness and women. These, it is a global issue. It's a humanitarian issue. It's, it's bigger than the segment that's fighting the fight. They're fighting the fight for all of us. So Rita, I know you've been active in so many different aspects of the industry and you have a leadership role and much of that comes from who you are as a person, but also your own heritage. I take, for example, the See Her movement that the ANA has been so active in. And I know uh, you have been a big supporter and active uh, across both personal interests and the Walt Disney Company. The idea in See Her was you have to see her to be her. And we all agree with that. Steve made a comment the other day in an interview he did with Ad Age that it's difficult until people actually put themselves into the picture. As, and, and Steve, I don't want to misquote you, but you talked about the fact that- You have to you, put yourself you know, in the problem. You have to put yourself in the problem to actually be a part of seeing the solution. And, and that was where I draw the, the analogy, Rita, to the see her movement. You have to see her to be her. If you can't imagine yourself in it, you're not in it. If you can't see yourself in it, it doesn't happen. How do you look at that from both the corporate responsibility perspective, which is obvious, but personal to you? I mean, having achieved such an enormous amount of success in our industry, and again, in, in a category that has generally not had people of color any which way but loose. Right. Well, I think it goes back to exactly what Steve just referenced, right? Which is the solution involves everyone's input and everyone's charge, right? So I I was very fortunate to have had advocates who gave me an opportunity and who supported me and sponsored me throughout my career. And they weren't Latinas like me and they weren't African-Americans because there weren't a lot of them. I didn't see her to know that I could be where I am today. Um, and I knew that I had to change that as I came up. And it's been an important part of what I do every single day because it, it, it speaks to everything from how you advocate for yourself in terms of opportunities, how you advocate for yourself in terms of pay, equitable pay. And, and that is, you know, sometimes I, you know, one of the things I say a lot to teams when I speak to them is, you know, you are good enough. You have earned the right to be there. And by the way, success is not only success in job, but it means you're okay to ask for that pay raise that you deserve. You're okay to ask for the position that you deserve, the seat at the table. 
it's okay for you to raise your hand and be be heard, right? Because a lot of times, even when you get to a table, you don't feel comfortable comfortable to raise your hand and say, I have a different point of view. I see it differently. And yet my job sitting at that table is to express the point of view of the majority of the people that are not sitting at that table who look like me, who look like Steve, who have not been given that same opportunity, not because they aren't capable or qualified, they just haven't been able to to reach that that level of, of success. And my hope would be that over time and that this movement, which is, by the way, a movement of to me, a movement, yes, it starts with African-Americans and, and the Black people on our teams. But, you know, a month ago, it was, you know, the Asian disease. And three months ago, it was close the borders and, you know, the Latino issue, right? It, it, it is always someone's issue. And yet it's all of our issues. And the, the moment that you own it as this makes us better, it makes business sense. We have data that shows that when you have diverse leadership and diverse management, it has an impact on the bottom line of businesses. And to the extent that we can prove that over and over again, that will only allow us to do more. How do we get to a place where it's not a check the box with HR? It's not a, you know, we've got X amount of uh, Latina or, or, or you know, African-American candidates. We are really looking at it through that lens, number one. What we have to do as an industry from our hiring to what we have to do as an industry is our messaging, because I do believe in the advertising and marketing and media industry, we don't follow narratives, we actually make the narratives. We actually have the ability to develop the narrative. And I I wanna point to something, which maybe I was just slow on the uptake, but I saw a spot on YouTube or CNN this weekend that Proctor had done called The Look. And I missed it. It was done back in 19, but I missed it. And I didn't see it until yesterday. And I don't know if either one of you have seen the spot, but it's wildly powerful. And it might as well have been made yesterday because it talks about the look. And it kind of talks about the and the character, the, the lead character, the protagonist in the spot is an African-American uh, guy who actually at the end you find out is a judge. But you don't know that throughout the whole spot. I really recommend watching it because it talks about the look. It shows him in the pool with his kid taking a swimming lesson. It shows him walking down the street with a hoodie and this and that. It shows him in different, and it shows people walking by looking at him and giving him the look. Mike, I've, I've, my parents have done a really good job of giving me confidence in bravery for anything that's come my way. So my entire career, whether it was in the music business or the advertising business, the look, the comments, the, the feeling um, has been omnipresent. You know, I wanted to specifically do this with Rita when we, when we discussed it because as a Latina Cuban out of Miami, there was a lot of civil unrest in Miami with the Cubans, a lot. She's seen a lot, you know, and you suppress this stuff because in order to rise above it, you got to put it almost out of your mind. You draw from the strength of it because the strength of it is you, 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 the odds of you not being able to do it, and you know what you have, the fight that you've had to go through to, to sort of pull yourself out of that situation. And it's, 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 it's difficult. This, this whole idea, I could tell you about the advertising business. I couldn't wait for this day because I firmly believe that the advertising business actually 
not even realize it supports segregation. They don't even realize they do it. It put everything in all these different buckets, 13% of the budget going against African-Americans because that's the size of the audience, 30% against Hispanic because that's the size of the audience. Like it, it leaves no understanding for the fact that people actually come together and have shared values that have nothing it's a, to do. It's a homogenized view. It's a non-homogenized view of a homogenized They support world. segregation. Michael, I wrote the book 11 years ago, The Tanning of America, talking specifically about this point. I never, I never in the 20 years that I've known you, we may have had different points of view based on age, but we never had different points of view based on values. Not if not even close. I mean, I've we've known, been aligned. You know, we've I, been aligned we, as friends, and I'm yeah, proud to say that. Rita and I are the same way. But the way they market to all three of us, our own industry will treat us like three different people who've never met. Yeah. Yeah. The I, business I, I, is built on legacy metrics that are all seeped in segregation. So is it education, Steve? Because education alone at least is the basis. Is it the exposure? Uh, it's education. It, it's we got to change out the people. I mean, look, man, I, I can you you name. I've been around everybody, Mike. You know, I've been around every head of every holding company. I know the head of every single agency. I've been in all those rooms. I've been in rooms where people let me. They tried to buy my agency and call me an African American agency just so that I could fit into some legal box so they can go after the fucking army account or some account where they needed a black face. I've seen it all. Okay, so like the people have to change all these statements and all these tweets and these donations are meaningless. If the people don't change, the people have to change. The people literally have to change. Some of them are your friends. Some of them are my friends. I don't care. They have to change. Their brain is warped when it comes to understanding different segments, different races, values and people. They just. They've grown up numb to understanding those differences. One of the first things I did when this whole thing happened, and as a company, we started to take a response was I immediately wanted to get up to who's sitting on my board today at the Walt Disney Company, because that board, if it doesn't reflect what our society looks like, it won't change, right? Because so much starts at the highest levels that drives change within an organization, you know, and I looked at it, and by the way, I was fairly pleased. I have to say, 50-50 men and women, when I take out our two bobs for a second and I just look at our board members, 50-50 men and women, three out of eight diverse backgrounds. That's important because it speaks to the priority of that board looking like what this company needs to look like. And I can tell you it doesn't look like it today. I can tell you for sure it doesn't look like it today. There are very few people that look like me or, or are diverse at the highest levels. But I promise you that that will change because it is inherently talked about and action plans are being put in place to address so that we never have the anger that you have heard this last week because it's anger, right? And it's fear. And it's fear from the people who work for me who are moms who have black kids who say to me, do you know that every time my son walks out the door, Rita, I worry, is he going to come back home? And even if you you know, you're Latina, you don't have that fear because it's not visible to the outside in the way it's visible about my son. Yeah. And you That's know, heartbreaking. You know, That's scary. It's scary. And you know, people say when you talk like that, 
before this. No, 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 no. I understand. You don't understand. Michael, you and I don't understand what it is being a mom. You don't, you can't possibly have to say to your wife, I understand. You can't understand what it is to be a black person that needs to run around if you're going to take a jog with ID or wear a shirt that has your alma mater on it so that at least if you get pulled over, you could say, look, man, I, I went to some, look, I went to uh, Harvard or Stanford or whatever. Because like to, to feel like you have to do something to be accepted. And it's so Steve, nonstop. Steve, you know, it, 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 the, 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 the story is uh, different for you, for sure, than for Rita or me. But I, I still understand, and I'm old enough to remember a more um, Eastern European influence on my young life when my grandparents, who fled, you know, whether it was the pogroms in Russia or the Holocaust, I can relate to that in a different way. I'm closer to that generation than you are, for sure. But I remember my grandmother using an expression that when you were Jewish, you had to stay ahead to catch up. You had to stay ahead to be even. That's kind of what you're saying. You, you, we weren't starting from the same place. As much as we understand visually it's different, I remember the stories of, you know, not so much in my life, but I, I still remember the pangs of anti-Semitism at Mike, an early what stage. What about our industry, all the money we control in advertising, all the media we control in creating images? What are we, we got to do something. And I told Bob Lodici and the ANAs um, and, you know, Rita and I are this in deep discussions of going to the Disney roster with an African-American strategy so that these brands could be, um, have intelligence on how to proceed. Because I think we're both getting a lot of phone calls from brand leaders asking, well, what can I do to help? And the last thing we want to do is tell them to write a check and go away. No, we want to give them a full-on strategy that they can commit to that will systemically change this thing over over time. But we got to move this industry forward because this industry, honestly, I am telling you, is really behind. It's really behind and it incentivizes the wrong behavior. And there's too many people making too much money and too big of the jobs that are inept when it comes to understanding race. And we all know it. You know it. Rita know it. We all know it. We all know it. So guys, paint me a picture. Here we are in 2020. We wouldn't have expected some of what's going on in the world now by any stretch of the imagination. But let's let's fast forward. Let's look at, you know, five years from now and 10 years from now. Uh, it's always dangerous for prognostication in this day and age because information travels so fast and it facilitates faster actions, generally speaking. But Paint me the picture. Rita, what do you see five years from now? Do you see a, an industry that has embraced what we need to do? Or is your fear like mine? And I hope we're both wrong if that's yours as well. You know, a snap back to just the way things are now with, you know, this as being, oh, yes. Do you remember that moment when everybody raised their voices? How do we ensure it? I mean, I'm not suggesting this, uh, but, you know, do we really falling short of boycotts, do we get the messaging to deliver the, the dollars 
the sales to the companies that are embracing it. I mean, what do we need to do? I believe this is a a moment in time that change will happen. I, I just think there's too many people that won't let that not happen. I think our kids, the next generation of uh, even, you know, the, the young kids within our teams and our own kids will never let that happen. We'll never let this go back to the way it was because you can actually, I, I feel like relate to it now more than ever and understanding what's going on and understanding that it makes business sense. It makes business sense to have a team and a organization that looks like the customers and the businesses that we serve. And to the extent that I just don't think, I don't think it's a moment in time like it has historically been that you hear a lot of noise and then people go back to the way it was. I, I, I think people are really upset and not only black people are upset. I think there is enough of a movement, as Steve said at the beginning, that you see it on the street. People are done with this conversation. It cannot continue. There has to be a new normal and, and companies that lead will lead into the future. And so guys, we know that we need to change the complexion literally and figuratively of our teams. I, we, we all get that. But I do remember, and I know Steve was probably there, Rita, you might've been as well at an advertising industry convention. I believe it was the four A's, but this isn't a four A's issue. This just happened to be at that conference. So I want to be clear. But I remember then the head of the four A's standing up and talking about the need for diversity in the industry. Now, I believe that that focus was much more than on gender diversity, which is important. We can't lose sight of the importance of that. But I remember sitting in that audience and I happened to have been in the front row and I turned around as I was listening to the speech about diversity and inclusion. And I looked back into the audience behind me and I literally saw one black face and maybe two Asian faces. And I went, man, is there a problem? Like I'm looking at a thousand people and you're talking about gender diversity. We have a much Michael, bigger problem. Michael, wait, Michael, can I answer that? Future yes, yes. question? please. So I'm optimistic. I'm with Rita here. Like when it, cur when it comes to curbing injustice, I don't think there'll be a wholesale change in five to 10 years alone, but we are definitely seeing a paradigm shift. You know, never has racism in America has been exposed and discussed at, at scale like this. So if you just go back and you look at the Civil War, the, it, you know, the, it changed laws around slavery. And if you go to the Civil Rights Movement, it, uh, change laws around Jim Crow, right? But the hearts and the minds of the people did not change. Laws change, but that didn't change, at least not at this level of awareness. So I do believe like reaching people at the level of their hearts and minds to address racism across the many crevices that it fucking hides is what's taking place right now. And when I look at 2030, all I know is that it will only be the change that we all hope for. The business leaders in our industry and others look exactly like the population that they are serving, which are more women and brown and black people, period. The one thing that we did miss is that when we started speaking about diversity, in all fairness, when diversity started to be a conversation, let's call it six, seven years ago, the benefactor of that to this day has been white women. Diversity in our industry is white women. They get board seats, they get C jobs, and even though they're not getting enough, it, that's the box that's being checked saying, we are diverse. We just gave blah, 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 
promotion. I, I couldn't, I couldn't so white women more. have gotten the benefit of diversity um, and brown people and men and women haven't had the seat and the opportunity. Anyhow, there's more than enough people who are sitting in jobs that need to be thrown out of their jobs or moved out of their leadership position to give enough women and brown and black men and women opportunities in order to address change. And that, that I believe is gonna happen in this round by any means necessary. When gay, when le- we could all learn something um, African-Americans can and women from the lesbian and gay movement that took place in the, and I think it started sort of in the late eighties after AIDS. They did not take their foot off the pedal. They pushed beyond acceptance, whether it was the army, uh, uh, same sex marriages, they did not stop. And we cannot stop. You can't stop. Rita, you won't stop. I won't stop because this is the opportunity where we could rewrite history. Well, Steve, I, I, I agree with you and it's gonna begin with a conversation. It's gonna begin with education. It's gonna begin with getting to, as you said, the hearts and minds, because if we don't, we never win this battle. It's gonna happen that way. And our responsibility with the younger people in our, in our industry, but the older people in our industry, to make sure everybody knows this is not a passing fancy. And we have to kind of talk with our you know, wallets and not only in where we donate money or where we are contributing through philanthropy, but where we're spending our money. And, you know, to that end, we need to see, and Rita, you know this probably better than most, how many conversations I've been in with marketers over the years, thinking about for a moment, um, Hispanic media, okay, and and Latin. Oh, well, I've ticked the box because I spent enough money on Univision or I spent enough money on Telemundo and I can reach everybody. No, you need to be focused differently as a buyer today and as a seller and as a participant in our industry, or we never get there. We never get to that capturing the hearts and minds. And we may have to capture the hearts and minds through the wallets. That may be the way we have to do it as one lever that we all have. I guess as a final point to this conversation, what can we do to put some teeth into it as an industry? Yeah, how do we pro- yeah. The same thing, the same thing that we all have gotten bonused on, fired on, uh, salaries modified on, whatever it may be, KPIs. Did you do exactly what you said the goal was? They have to apply that to this. They don't apply it to this, then it's a problem. KPIs is the only thing we as an industry respond to. Well, I think I think that's right. You know, Steve, you said something else, and I just want to throw this out to, to Rita first. So you were right. The main beneficiary, and not enough progress yet for sure, but the main beneficiary of the diversity or the DNI over the last several years, and a and a category that needed help, believe me, in terms of leveling the playing field with you know women. Number one, for sure. We're not there yet. We got a long way to go. To some extent, it's about leveling the playing field because sometimes you had people of color who were way overqualified and the other person was okay, but they got the job because they were a white guy. And that's just the reality of the bias that was in the system. Right, wrong, or indifferent, we, we allowed that to happen. And the reality is there will be a different, I think there will be a very different go forward approach to everything. And it's not going to be reverse discrimination, right? Because I, I've gotten that tool. We have to be careful that we're not 
now biasing in the other direction. No, we just have to make it equitable and fair. And by the way, every single time I have pushed back on someone on my team who brought in a candidate and I said, right, we have no diverse candidates, go back. And they've hired someone diverse. They've all come back and thanked me and said, thank you for doing that. I'm so happy with X, Y, or Z person. There are amazingly qualified people. You got to fish in different ponds. They're not going to be always at Harvard and Stanford. Not to say there's not great people coming out of Harvard and Stanford and by diverse, diverse people coming out of Harvard and Stanford. But that's not where the majority of us went to school, right? The majority of us went to state schools because that's what we could afford to do. Or we went to all black universities because that's what our parents wanted us to do. And it was important from a cultural perspective that we had that connection. And we should be fishing and talking to those candidates the way we want to encourage them to come and be part of our companies and our industry, right? I worry sometimes that we have like the same pitch to everybody. We don't go into pitch P&G the way I go into pitch General Motors, the way I go into pitch McDonald's. You shouldn't be pitching the candidates all in the same way too, right? And so the way we talk to people has to resonate and matter to them. And Michael, uh, Michael, lastly, on that point, I don't think Rita, I know a lot of people on Rita's team, but I can tell you about myself, the people on my team, Chaucer and Sandy and Joelle and whoever works at my company, we don't want to um, get the job if we're less than, less than qualified. It's not like we're saying, give us a handout because we're African-American or that you're a woman. We know that we're less talented, but we deserve the job anyway over the more talented white male. We're saying we're as good or better, and that's why we should get the job. Nobody wants a handout here, Mike. Yeah. No, no. And listen, I have a very good friend who says when someone might say, gee, Steve deserves this or Rita deserves this, he always cautions people, says people don't deserve things. They earn things. And all you're saying is we we, we can earn it. Just let us have the fair chance to Give earn a it. shot. Give a yep. shot. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, I appreciate taking the time today. It's so important. And I think you're both right. The, the KPIs are what matters. That's where the teeth come from. You have to have an enforcement capability. And that enforcement capability, and Steve, I think you said it perfectly well, it's no different than any uh, agency-client relationship you or any buyer-seller relationship. There are key performance indicators that you've got to hit. And what we're saying is it's time. Guys, again, from the bottom of my heart, I thank you. This was put together at the last minute. This isn't one that had a lot of green room preparation. I know for, for certain we were all speaking from the heart. And I appreciate it. And this is part of our obligation and our honor, I think, as being leaders in this industry to put this into the zeitgeist. So thank you. And let's make sure that we are going to look back in five years and 10 years and, and celebrate the fact that this time we made a difference. Yep. Yep. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. I'm Michael Casson. Thanks for listening to Good Company. Good Company is a production of iHeartRadio. A special thanks to Lena Peterson, Chief Brand Officer and Managing Director of MediaLink, for her vision on Good Company. And to Jen Seeley, Vice President, Marketing Communications of MediaLink, for programming amazing talent and content. Good Company is edited by Jessica Kreinchich. 